Lord, we thank you that because of the shed blood of your son that we come to you just as we are. Lord, we don't come after we've cleaned ourselves up or we've made ourselves perfect because that would be impossible. But Lord, we thank you that we can come to you just the way we are and that you love us. That you know all of our sin, you know everything we've ever done, and you're a gracious and a merciful God, and you love us so very much. We just thank you for your grace and your mercy. We pray, Lord, tonight that you would be our teacher, that your Holy Spirit would minister to every heart that is here. May we be desperate for you. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. If you have your Bible, turn to Numbers 33. If you don't, raise your hand. We'll be happy to either loan you one or give you one. Right over here. Anybody else needs a Bible? Just raise your hand. I promise you it's a lot easier if you got the Word. Amen. We're not having any words up on the screen or anything like that. You've got to bring your Bible to this church. Amen? Amen. All right. And if you don't bring it, you came straight from work or something, we're happy to loan you one or you can take it with you. All right, Numbers 33. Now this is one of those chapters in the Bible that if you're sitting at home reading, you might skip over it. Uh, and if those of you read ahead might have thought, what in the world is Pastor Dave going to get out of this chapter? But here's the good news. Every chapter that's in the Bible is in the Bible for a reason. Amen? And as we've been seeing so far in Numbers, the book of Numbers is a book that is not taught by many people. It's not the favorite of... They just read the, they just read the title, Numbers. Oh, let's go by that one, right? And the reality is, as we've been going through Numbers, what a great book, amen? As we've been seeing the children of Israel in the wilderness and so many clear types and pictures of Christ throughout the book. And uh, two weeks ago, in Numbers 32, what a great chapter that is. And just looking at how that picture of what we go through in life and how it was a real clear picture also in the children of Israel. For those of you who weren't here, what we saw is first that Passover is the, what delivered the people out of bondage in Egypt. They were delivered at Passover, and as we're going to see tonight again, Passover being a picture of the cross. They had to take the blood of the firstborn lamb and put it in the shape of a cross. And anybody who had that blood on their door, then the angel of death passed over. And that's a picture of the cross, that they were delivered out of the bondage in Egypt through the shed blood of the lamb. But then we saw that after they were delivered out of bondage, and we're going to see again tonight, they were trapped, supposedly, from the world's perspective, with their backs to the Red Sea. And then God opened up the Red Sea, and they passed through, and that's a picture of baptism. Now, baptism is not necessary for salvation, but it is an outward statement of an inward change. It's letting the whole world know that I want to be identified with Christ. And I promise you that while we should respond in faith, it took faith to step into a seed that had opened up with who knows how 50, 60 high walls of water and say, walk through on the dry ground. It took some faith to do that. And it takes faith to go out into the ocean or in a jacuzzi or wherever it might be and say, you know what, I want to be identified with Christ. Then we've seen them wandering through the wilderness, and during that wilderness time, we see all the trials that they go through, and all the difficulty, and all the temptations. And we saw that as that happened, that there were opportunities for them to rebel against God or stand with Him. And they continued to struggle, and they made very little progress because they would not obey God and enter into the land of promise. And then we saw how the Jordan River is a clear picture of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, people have been wandering through that dryness in their walk, that when they enter into Canaan, that promised land, that place of walking that Spirit-filled life, that Jordan is a picture of being baptized in the Spirit. So as Christians, or people here tonight, you may still need to face Passover. Maybe you're still living a life, you've not given your life to Jesus Christ, you've not been born again. And I want to encourage you before you leave here tonight, that you can know that you know that you know that you're going to heaven because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ and His work on the cross. Amen? Now, 
Maybe you've given your life to the Lord, but you've never really made a public confession. Maybe people at work don't know you're saved. Maybe you've never really taken that step to say, you know what, I want to publicly confess my faith. Well, that's where baptism comes in. And then maybe you've been baptized, you're walking with the Lord, but you've never really had that just passion and burn for God that you've seen in the hearts of others. It's trapped between Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2, where they're waiting up in the upper room, and while they're in the upper room, the Lord said, I'm going to send my Holy Spirit to come upon you. The Holy Spirit's in you, but He's not upon you in a mighty and a powerful way. And maybe that's where you're at tonight. And that's where we need to just say, okay, Lord, I want to give you all my life. Not just some of my life. Not just Sunday and Wednesday. But Lord, I want to give it all to you because you laid down your life for me. Well, that's what Numbers 32 was all about. We saw those clear types. Now we get to Numbers 33. And really what this is, is God tells Moses just to write down a list of all the places they've been to while they've been wandering in the wilderness. And there's this long list of seemingly really boring names. And you start reading it, and it's one of those things you just go, oh, okay, whatever, right? And you just, let's, where do these names end? But again, the reason that we are to study it is because God has it in His Word. In tonight's chapter, we're going to see how God had Moses painstakingly note each of the 40 encampments of the children of Israel. I find it interesting, there's how many? 40? 40 in the Bible is a number of what? Testing, okay? It's a time when you're tested or when you go through difficulty, right? How many days did it rain? Noah's Ark? 40 days and 40 nights. How many days was Jesus being tempted by the, by the devil, right? Out in the, in the desert, 40 days. You know, and you see it repeatedly, 40 being a number of testing throughout the Word. And there's 40 encampments as they travel through the wilderness. And we're going to see that on their journey from Egypt, which is a picture of the world, to the Jordan, that there's so many things that they go through, just like you and I. I believe as we go through these seemingly meaningless and tedious list of names and encampments of the children of Israel that happened several thousand years ago, and again, where we might want to just say whatever and move on to the next chapter, that God's going to teach us something because He always does. It says in 2 Timothy, all Scripture, all would be all in the original language, the word all there means all, so all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God might be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So if all of Scripture is inspired by God, then we're going to teach all of it. Amen? Amen. And we're not going to skip over chapters. As we, took the time, as we take the time to labor in this, in this chapter tonight, and was really dig into the Word, I believe there's much we can learn about God, His heart toward His children, the children of Israel, and His heart toward us. And there'll be some great applications for you and I as we walk, and maybe some of us wander, from being bound in our sin to entering into God's highest, that Spirit-filled life that we've been talking about. While we as Christians know, at least in our minds, that God indeed is sovereign and in control, it's another thing to apply it to our lives and live it out in our everyday walk. And we're going to see that God's eyes are always on us tonight. You know what? We will think that there are things in our life that are meaningless, and I want you to know that God knows about it. He knows the number of hairs on your head. You are His treasured possession. He loves you so much, He can't stop thinking about you. You are always on His mind. He thought about you on the cross. And as we see here, these seemingly meaningless details are important to God. Now, I found this interesting, what I thought about, as we look at these things that He remembers and and leading, leading them every step of the way as they wander through the wilderness. And we might look at this list and seem it to be tedious, but to the Lord it's certainly not. What I thought about is I thought about how much I love my kids. I thought about just recently, it was my daughter's 16th birthday, and we made a DVD of her growing up. A bunch of pictures, and Cole and Tiffany actually did it for us, put it to music, and I was a train wreck watching my daughter, you know, go from birth to 16 in seven minutes. It just killed me, right? 
And, and then I got some old videos out, and I'm watching these old videos of my kids when they're little. And, and if you came to my house, you'd probably about 60 seconds of those videos would be, oh, your kids were cute, and, you know, what do you got to eat around here? You know what I mean? And the reality is, though, that as their dad, I love to just watch my children grow up. I love to, to just, every detail of their life is important to me. They're so precious to me. And you know what? I'm an imperfect dad, and if I feel that way about my children, he's a perfect holy God. How does he feel about us? Every detail of our life is important to him. Every trial we go through, every test, he says, I'm going to grow my kids through this. And that's what's happening with the children of Israel. And we're going to see, again, that God has his eyes on them at every single moment. That he's leading them on their way. And so too, God knows all that you and I have been through. And His eyes are always on us. And the things that He chooses to forget about them, and that's what's going to be amazing tonight, we're going to retrace their steps, and there's going to be one thing that is constantly missing as we retrace the steps. And you know what's going to be? Their sin. Nowhere in this entire chapter does He mention one sin of the children of Israel. Now, what did they do the whole time they were wandering? Murmur, complain, whine, right? They were on the cinephon, right? They were just out of their minds sinning. And what's amazing to me is we watch them travel. We're going to see not one sin mentioned in 56 verses. Incredible. How come? Because I believe this is the point where God is looking back at them the way that He looks at you and I. When He sees us, He sees us forgiven. We're sinners saved by grace and He sees us forgiven. And we blow it. And I will love this, that all he makes note of here is their acts of obedience. And these guys, for all this time, 40 years, have been murmuring for the most part. And there's so many vile things they've done, and God looks right through it all and sees where they've been obedient. Man, this is a great and encouraging chapter to me. As you just look and see that that's how God looks at each one of us. In times of rebellion, I want to say this, our sin does have consequences, but God, again, chooses not to remember our sin, but at the same time, our sin will have consequences. So may we be, you know, not take God's grace for granted. Amen? And in the stuff we're going to cover tonight, he's not going to mention the fact that 3,000 people were killed at Sinai because they had a drunken orgy. Remember that? He's up getting the law. What are they doing? Golden calf. Well, right? 3,000 souls died that day. The law was given, 3,000 souls died. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit was given and 3,000 souls were added to the kingdom of God. Not by chance in the Bible. We see the earth swallowed up Dathan and Abiram. He's not going to mention that here because they tried to overthrow Moses. Nadab and Abihu, remember them? The sons of Aaron and they were high priests. Remember they went into the Holy of Holies with strange fire and God struck them down. He doesn't mention that in this chapter, even though he talks right about the time that that's going on. The entire generation dying in the wilderness. He doesn't even mention it in this chapter. Zimri bringing the, the Moabitess harlot into the camp. Remember that? And remember what happened? The young man picked up a spear and threw it right through him, right? And we don't see it in this chapter because, again, I believe the point is being made that when God looks back, he looks at us forgiven. When God looks at our lives, you know, we walk around condemned. If you're here tonight and you're condemned about the person you used to be, you are a new creation in Christ. Amen? And old things have passed away and all things have become new. And that's who you are. So trust in Him. And notice as we continue on from Egypt to Canaan that He leaves out those details. And when He looks at you and I, those details have been left out as well. So we're going to talk about the fact that God is all-knowing, that God is a, a merciful God, 
And next week, we're only going to go through verses 1 through 49 tonight, Lord willing, time willing. And the next week we'll see that he looks back. As we look back, we see God's hand. And that prepares us to know that we can look forward and trust what God says he's going to do. When he's been faithful behind us, can't we trust in his faithfulness before us? Amen? When we've seen him be faithful in every act of our life behind us, we've seen what he's done in the prophecy fulfilled, we see what he's done in his word, can't we trust him going forward? And we'll see that next week. So let's begin in verse 1, looking back at what God has already done as he takes the time to have Moses summarize what has happened in the first, well, actually all the way from Exodus up through Numbers 32. Verse 1 of Numbers 33. These are the journeys of the children of Israel who went out of the land of Egypt by their armies under the hand of Moses and Aaron. So the chains of 400 years had been broken. They were no longer in bondage and they were led out by armies. That means they were in rank and file and they were led out orderly. Now you can imagine if you were freed from bondage and you were just doing it in your flesh, it would have been like a land rush. Can you imagine? Right? Three million people. You're free. Oh, right? right? Can you just imagine? People will be trampling each other to death just to get out of Egypt. And that's not what happened. What happened was they were lined up in rank and file and they marched out. And they marched out being led by Moses. Moses in the Old Testament is a type of Jesus because he is the deliverer that was sent back to set the people who were in bondage free. Now, Moses was a sinner saved by grace just like you and I, but he's a picture of Christ and that he was sent to set the people free and he led them out. The same is true for you and I. We were in bondage to sin and Jesus Christ came and suffered and died and set us free and he now leads and guides and directs us. He's not just our Savior, he's our Lord. Amen? And Moses is leading them out of bondage and he goes out before them by the hand of Moses or the leadership of Moses. Verse 2, now Moses wrote down the starting points of their journeys at the command of the Lord. And these are their journeys according to the starting points. So at the command of the Lord, each starting point was written down. Again, for God it was important. These, these lists of names may seem meaningless to you, but to God what He was doing with His children is never insignificant. He's our Father. We're His adopted children. He leads us in the journey and He loves to watch us grow. A good idea, by the way, to keep a journal. I don't know how many of you do that. You know what? And I haven't done it in a few years. I need to do it again. Keep a prayer journal. You know, write down what God's doing in your life. I used to love to write out prayer and then go back a few years later and get that thing out and just be able to highlight all the prayers that God had answered. And it's a great thing. And that's what's happening here. He says, I want you to go back and chronicle everything that's happened from the time you left Egypt till this very day. And I want you to write it all down, Moses, because I want it to be remembered by the generations to come, and I want the people that are living now to understand what I've done for them. Verse 3. They departed from Ramses, that's a city in Egypt, in the first month of the 15th day of the first month. On the day after the Passover, the children of Israel went out with boldness in the sight of all the Egyptians. So again, what is it that set them free? It was Passover. Plagues had come. There had already been nine plagues. Every plague was heinous, and they were never set free. And it's not by chance they were, that they were not set free with frogs. Amen? It's not by chance they were not set free with lice, or with darkness, or with you know livestock being diseased, or water turning to blood. But it was only at Passover that they were set free. Because again, Passover is a clear picture of the cross. Because without the cross, you and I would still be in bondage to sin, no matter how many other plagues had come, no matter how many other works had been done. 
And they didn't go out in secret. I like this. It says, when Passover came, they went out with boldness. And you know what? It says in Acts chapter 2, after they were baptized in the Holy Spirit, they spoke with great what? Boldness. And when we've been born again, truly given our lives to Christ, we should not be undercover Christians. Amen? We should be living sold out for Him. And people should know that we're saved. And not being a jerk or being self-righteous or anything like that, but being loving and also just being so in love with the Lord that people just know there's something different about you. And they went out with boldness. They were in bondage and they went out in rank and file and they walked out right in front of Egypt because they knew God had delivered them. And they were trusting in God, not running for their lives. Amen? And as Christians, we too can trust in the Lord and be still and know that He's God. Again, each of the plagues that had come, let's take a look there in verse 4. For the Egyptians were burying all their firstborn, whom the Lord had killed among them, also on their gods the Lord had executed judgment. So, Passover and the cross is either a place of salvation or a place of judgment. For those of us who are being saved, it's salvation. For those who reject the cross, it's judgment. I was having a long talk with somebody earlier this week, and they're really struggling with, why would God send anybody to hell? Ever struggled with that before? Why would God send anybody to hell? Can I tell you right now, God sends no one. Man sends himself when he repeatedly rejects the cross for a lifetime. I believe the Lord reaches out to every one of us over and over and over and says, I love you so much. Here's how much I love you. I died that you might have eternal life. And you know what? He loves us and He loves us and He loves us and He reaches out and He brings people into our life and He gives us His Word and He gives us opportunities to know Him. And man, just like Satan who was cast out of heaven, says, I don't need it. I want to be God of my own life. I don't need you, God. I want to, I want to do it my own way. And eventually God gives them what they've asked for. They say, I don't need you, God. I want to do it my own Okay. Eventually, they get what they've asked for. So God will not force Himself on anybody. He loves us all. He offers salvation universally, but it must be accepted individually. And it says there that they were burying their firstborn. Why? Because they did not put the blood of the, of the Lamb, and they did not have the cross on their doorstep, and because they did not, death came. And if you are either washed in the blood of the Lamb, or you are judged by the blood of the Lamb. Amen? You read the cross is a place of salvation, or it's a place of judgment. And the reality is that He desires that none should perish, no, not one. He's a loving God. He wants you to know Him. And you, can, you don't have to leave here without Him. And then it says, also on their gods, the Lord had executed judgment. Have you ever wondered why He had the nine plagues that He had prior to Passover? Have you ever wonder why there was a plague of frogs? Why frogs? You know, why not, you know, squirrels? I don't know. You know, why frogs, right? You know why frogs? Because they had a frog god. They had a frog god they worshipped. And the Lord was just letting them know, well, you know, let's see how it works out with that frog God you've got. And he just brought so many frogs in that they were tired of the frogs, right? They had a God of the waters of the Nile that they believe watched over the waters of the Nile. So he turned the Nile waters to blood. They had a God of the sun, darkness. They had a God over livestock, disease livestock, right? And every one of those diseases was to let them know, every one of those plagues was to let them know your God is not God. These hundreds of gods you have are all dead idols and none of them will help you out. And I want to just make it real clear to you, so I'm just going to show you that your gods have no power. So look what it says at the end of that verse. On their gods the Lord had executed judgment. And He had done it by bringing the plagues into the land. So here we move on, and they move out now of this place of judgment. Then the children of Israel moved from Ramses and camped at Sukkoth. Those of you who have been here, you know that Sukkoth... That word means booths or tents, and it signified how they camped. 
Later, there was a, the Feast of Tabernacles that was established, remember? And it was their way of remembering God's deliverance as they would camp, they would go outside of the city and they would camp in little tents. And it would be a reminder, the kids would say, why are we camping in tents? Mom and dad, why are we doing this? Because he'd say, because it's a remembrance of God's deliverance out of Egypt as we camped in tents, as we were in the wilderness headed to the promised land. The Feast of Tabernacle begins with Passover, just like it does here. Passover occurred, they headed out immediately, started camping in tents, and that word Sukkoth, Sukkoth means booths or tents. So the first place they went to, and it wasn't very far away, this proves to me that they were, at least at this point, trusting God, because they only went eight miles away. If you had been in bondage 400 years, how far would you have gone? I'd drop dead walking, right? I'm getting as far away from those stinking Egyptians as I possibly can. Now, three million people moving eight miles might have been as far as you could go, too. I don't know. You know, be dragging these people. I, you know, I try getting my four kids in the car sometimes. It seems like, you know what I mean? You can imagine taking three million people. So they go eight miles, and they stop, and they camp, and the place is then called Sukkoth, verse 6. They departed from Sukkoth and encamped at Etham, which is on the edge of the wilderness. Now, Etham means their sign, and I find that significant, and I'll tell you why in a moment. It's eight more miles, so they're moving eight miles a day. It's located on the northern shore of the Red Sea. In Exodus 13, the children of Israel, were being, since then, have been led by the Lord. So right here, they're being led by the Lord, and the pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night, and they would follow under the cloud, right? He would protect them in the desert and, you know, camp where it's cool, right? And he'd follow under the cloud, and when the cloud would stop, they would stop. And when the pillar of fire would stop by night, then they would stop there. And so they were being led by the Lord, and they were walking in obedience to God. Again, as he's looking back, he's only pointing out their obedience. Have you noticed that? He's just pointing out the fact that they walked in obedience to his command, even though these guys were a mess, right? Because God looks back with grace, and I praise God that he looks back on my life with grace. How about you? Amen? Aren't you glad when he sees what's behind you, he's, it's grace. He sees it forgiven. And as we're going to see in a minute, he separates your sin as far as the east is from the west. Now, they're now right at the Red Sea already. It's been eight hours, eight, uh, eight miles, eight miles, two days, we're at the Red Sea. Now watch what happens. Verse 7. Then from Etham, again, which means sign, their sign, they turned back to Piahiroth and went east into Baal-Saphom, and then they came to Migdal. Now, what do all these things mean, and what's significant about it? Well, they actually kind of backtracked already. They've only been traveling for two days, and they went back and went down into the middle of the Red Sea, and now they were literally trapped. They were camping in a place where they were trapped. There was no way out. And why would God do that? Because without a test, there could be no testimony. Because if there was another way to get away, other than crossing over the Red Sea, they probably would have tried. Amen? But when you're trapped and your back's against the wall and all you can do is cry out to God, that's the best place to be. Amen? Because too often we want to try to fix it ourselves. We want to try to find another way. Go a different way. And the Lord says, here, I'm just going to put you somewhere where you can't ask anybody but me. Amen? I've had people say to me, you know, the only time I pray is when I'm going through difficulty. I'm like, get ready for some difficulty because the Lord likes to hear from you. Amen? <laughs> I mean, the reality is that it's when we go through those tests and those trials and those difficulties that we grow in the Lord and we become a testimony to the world. And so they backtrack, and from their mind, they might have been thinking, now, wait a minute. You know, we're going kind of backward and sideways here. Why are we doing this? And we're camped up against the Red Sea. I don't understand what we're doing, Moses. And, and here's the reality. Who is leading them? God. God. The pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. 
They were just following the Lord. Okay, Lord, you say that's where we're going then. You know what? May we be like that. Say, yes, Lord. You, you want, where do you want me to go? Santa, okay, Santa Cruz, I'll go. Amen? Where do you want me to be? What do you want me to do with my life? And they were following him. Now, it's interesting, these two names. Piahiroth means mouth or pass. But what's interesting is Baal Saphon means Baal, right? Who's Baal? He's a what? He's an idol or a false god. It means Lord, but, it, but it, they worship this false idol. And they believe that this Baal that was encamped in this pass protected it for the Egyptians. We're going to see how that works out, right? Again, God's smoking their gods, right? Their gods are not true. You got a false idol. You can stick up all the idols you want. You can have as many Buddhas in your restaurant, you know, with a big fat belly. It's not going to do you any good. Amen? You put oranges in his lap. You can do, he's a dead god. We're serving a risen and living Savior. Amen? And so here's Baal all set up, and they pass by him, you know. And I don't think the children of Israel are going, ooh, you know, Baal. I don't think they're worried about it. Again, and if they were, God was going to prove to them real quick who really is God. Amen? And so now their back's against the wall, and the word there is Migdal. It says they're a camp near Migdal. Now, Migdal means tower. And what's interesting, I looked it up, and it's totally the Holy Spirit, but I knew it was going to be this word. It says in Proverbs 18.10, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it, and they are safe. And the word for tower in Proverbs 18 is the name of the Lord is a strong Migdal. The righteous run into it, and they are safe. So where are they encamped? You got the, you got the false gods over here, and the righteous run into the name of the Lord, and they are safe. Amen? They're encamped at Migdal in the name of the Lord. The enemy can be coming. The, the false gods can be next to you. Your back can be against the water. You encamp in the Lord. You have nothing to fear. Amen? And that's where they were encamped there in Migdal. Verse 8. They departed from before Hiahiroth and passed through the midst of the sea into the wilderness. Went three days' journey into the wilderness of Etham and camped at Marah. Now, again... That was a pretty significant event, and he doesn't even really mention it. They went through the sea. I'm thinking that's major, right? Major point. But what's he pointing to? Their obedience. They went through the sea. Just a point. They went through the sea. They passed through the midst of the Red Sea. As we know from God's Word that, you know, it says some trust in chariots and some trust in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. Well, in Exodus 14, the Egyptians were closing in. Israel cried out to the Lord, and Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. The Lord will fight for you, and you will hold, you, and you will hold your peace. You don't say anything. Trust in God. Now, from their perspective, we got water behind us and chariots coming. We're done. We're just, what did you do to us, Moses? What? You're killing me. We got water behind us. Man, Baal's getting, you know, we're done. And then he said, you just be still and watch the salvation of the Lord. And we know what happened. If you've seen the Ten Commandments, right? What happened? <laughs> Charlton Hester, I mean Moses, stood up there and opened up his rod. And what happened? The, the sea opened up and they walked right through it. And what happened? The enemy followed in behind. And all of Pharaoh's people did the dead man float. Right? If you know that song when you were a kid, right? Pharaoh died and all of his people did the dead man float and they were wiped out. And why? Because God was showing them His power. Had they not been backed up to the Red Sea, they would, never, would have never passed through it. They would have never seen the mighty hand of God. You're going through a difficult time right now. Know that you're in it so God might be glorified and He might show you His mighty right hand. Amen? He's a righteous God. He loves you. You're not going through this by chance. He's a faithful God. 
And then he said in Exodus 14, Then the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. They either drown or found out real quick that he indeed is God. How'd that Baal thing work out? How'd that big Baal thing out in the middle of the... That didn't, that didn't seem to help them out too much. Amen? Why? Because false gods are dead gods. Now, Etham, look what it says here. This is interesting. When they, came, when they left, they were in Etham. And when they came to the other side, they were in Etham, which means Etham covered both sides of the sea. Etham means a sign. This was a sign to them that they passed through the Red Sea of God's great and mighty hand. The Red Sea being a picture of water baptism, it too is a sign to the world that we've given our life to Him. Amen? The same is true. It was a sign to those around Him that their God is God. And we're baptized, we're saying, we want to be identified with the Lord in every way. He's my God. I'm not ashamed of Him, just as He was not ashamed of me. And they encamped at Mara. Now, those of you who were studying when we were here, Mara means bitter waters. And God had delivered them, and the people complained against Moses because as soon as they got to the other side of the Red Sea, there was no water. It just doesn't seem to end for these guys, right? So they get to the other side. Now again, does he point out that they murmured in this text? No. You and I know they did. They got to the other side of the Red Sea, you think they'd be going, right? On their knees. Thank you, Lord, right? The chariots were coming. Instead, what do they do? This water's not good. Water's bitter. Wait a minute. Did I just open up the sea for you? You think I'll hook you up with some water? I'm thinking it's not going to be a problem, right? But they start murmuring against God, and the water is bitter. And if you guys remember, again, it's not here in the text, but he told them to cast a tree into the water, and the water became sweet. And now at the time for them, does that make any sense? Throw a tree into the water, it'll be sweet. What? That takes faith, amen? But what is it? The tree is a picture of the cross. And the things that are bitter to us, out, you know, when we are, do not know the Lord, once the Lord has touched us, they become sweet. Amen? And water in the Bible is a picture of two things. The Word and the Holy Spirit. Amen? And the Word of God, they sanctify your home by the washing of the water of the Word of God. Once you've been touched by the cross, doesn't this all make sense? Start to read the Bible, and for the first time, you fully start to grasp it. The Holy Spirit gives you understanding of His Word. The cross being thrown in, the tree being thrown into the water made it sweet. But look what he says here. All he says is, it camped at Mora. Again, he looks back at them, and what does he see? Obedience. To a point. Amen? Praise the Lord. Verse 9. They moved from Mora and came to Elam. And at Elam there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, so they camped there. I'd camp there. How about you? You're wandering through the wilderness, palm trees, that's working for me, right? There are going to be palm trees in heaven, I'm convinced of it, because I love them. All right, but you, you see palms all over the Bible. When Jesus came in on Palm Sunday, right, they're waving palms. I'm like, that's good because I love palm trees. You know, it's a it ain't a vacation if there's no palm trees. That's the way I feel about it, right? And so these guys are wandering through the wilderness, and there's 12 springs of fresh water coming up out of the ground, and 70 palm trees. I'd have been saying, hey, this looks like Canaan, right? Is this it? And we just stop here. Now they didn't stop because again, the Lord would move on. But I find it interesting that when you look in the original text, the word Elam means strong. And the fact that there are 12 springs and 70 palms, again, is those things that refresh these guys who were dry. And isn't it interesting that there were 12 apostles and 70 missionaries that were sent out two by two to refresh those who were dry and did not know God. And it's interesting that they, they drank of 12 places of water that refreshed them. And the same was too as the apostles went out, the first you know, converts to Christianity and touch the known world with the truth. Those who were dying in the wilderness outside of Almighty God. 
a place of refreshing in the midst of dryness. It's interesting that place is still there today, and now there's not 70 palm trees, there's thousands. And it's the same is true of us. Amen? Church started out with 70, and there's a lot more than that now. Amen? There's millions that have been touched by the Lord. They moved from Elam and camped by the Red Sea. So now they're on the other side of the Red Sea. And they moved from the Red Sea and camped in the wilderness of sin. How do you think that's going to work out? There's a clue. The wilderness of sin. I'm thinking we don't want to camp there, right? And it's interesting that they went from an oasis to the wilderness of sin. And what I thought about, just from your pastor's perspective, I thought about the Garden of Eden. You know, they were in a place of perfection. They disobeyed God and they went out into the wilderness of sin. And you see them here traveling through and they're in this oasis and now they're in the wilderness of sin. Now again, they're walking in obedience to the Lord. He's the one who leads them there. The word for sin there, this won't surprise many of you, is thorn. The wilderness of thorn, sin. When did thorns come into existence? Remember when they sinned in the garden? It talked about you know, pain in childbirth, right? talked about the man toiling in the ground, and it was then that thorns and thistles came into existence. And this word for sin is thorn. And what did they put on our Savior's head? A crown of thorns. A picture of sin being placed upon Him for us. Again, the Bible rocks. Amen? It all fits together perfectly. When we look at the Old Testament, all of it pointing to our Savior. The place where they complained for bread was right here. He doesn't say it, though. Remember what happened? They started, we got water now. All right, where's the bread? All right? They start murmuring for bread. Now, they could have, now, do you think if they'd waited on the Lord, he would have fed them? Without a doubt. But instead, they start murmuring. So we, we complained about water. We've got to have something else to complain about. He gave us 12 springs. We're all full now. Where's the bread? Today, we'd say, where's the beef, probably. But where's the bread, right? And they wanted bread, and they started to murmur against God. And we know that he, he provided for them by raining manna from the sky. Again, rebellion, murmuring, not here. He's looking back. As he looks back in our lives, sinless forgiven. Praise the Lord for that. We're going to move a little quicker here because some of these are not mentioned anywhere else in the Bible but here. So I'll tell you the meaning of their names. They departed from the wilderness of sin and camped at Dovka, which means knocking. So they went to a place where they were knocking. What they did there, I have no idea, but God notes that they went there. Why? Because God knows every place we go and He loves us. And everything we do is important to Him. It then says from Dovka they went to Alush, and then they came to Rephidim, where there was no water for the people to drink. So if you remember, Alush means mingling together, so they're mingling together. They come to Rephidim, and if you remember, that was the place where they started to murmur about water again. Now they got bread, so now they got to start talking, they got to start murmuring about water again. And they started murmuring about water, and if you remember, this was the place where the Lord told Moses to smote the, the rock. The rock is a picture of whom? Jesus, because when he hit the rock, struck the rock with the wood, the water poured out. Jesus is the rock. He hung on the cross, and if you remember what happened to him, what was the last thing they did to him on the cross? They stuck a spear in his side and water poured out. Okay? Again, all fulfillment of this, but this all took place right here at Rephidim. Rephidim means a place of rest, and no murmuring is mentioned here. You'd think that that would be a valid point, but again, to the Lord, He looks back. And what does He see? He sees their obedience. And again, even though it was limited, that's our God. What a gracious God we serve. They bar- verse 15, they departed from Rephidim and camped in the wilderness of Sinai. Now we know about Sinai, that's, they were there 13 months. 
doesn't note it here, but they were at Sinai for 13 months. And during that time is where you see all the book of Exodus and all the book of Leviticus. Leviticus was given in one month. And it was when the Lord, he was going back and forth up and down Sinai, right? And, and the Lord was ministering directly to him. It was there that he received the Ten Commandments. It was there that he received instructions on the temple. It was there that he received the, the instructions on the vessels, vessels for worship and sacrifice. And what happened there? One of the most heinous acts in the history of mankind, they made a golden calf. Dude, what are you thinking? Aaron, the assistant pastor, is making a golden calf while he's up on the mountain. Just blows my mind, right? He goes up there for 40 days. Joshua goes with him. He comes back down, and they're, just out, they're back in Egypt. Because you can take the people out of Egypt, but you couldn't take Egypt out of the people. And they were making a golden calf that they would have seen. Now, you would think, we passed through the Red Sea, didn't we? Didn't we do that? The Baal thing didn't work out. He was mocking all their gods with the plagues, right? And look what God's done for us. And he's up there for 40 days, and they're like, you know what? Oh, right, you know, make a god for us. And then Aaron gives that wimpiest of all wimpy excuses in the history of the Bible. When Moses said to him, what happened? He goes, well, we threw the golden, and the calf popped out. Bearing false witness, lying is not becoming of a pastor, amen? And here he is, lying. He, it says he fashioned it with his own hands. Break your heart. And so that happened, and it's not even mentioned here. Does that blow your mind that he could even talk about this and not mention that? Again, I believe, this is your pastor's perspective, looking back, we're forgiven. Praise God that we are. So now they move on from Mount Sinai. And again, these names, most of these are mentioned nowhere else in the Bible. I'll give you the meanings of each one just so we understand. Verse 16, they moved from the wilderness of Sinai and camped at Kirbroth Hatava, which means lust or longing. Now, one thing that did happen here, this is the place where they began to ask for quail. You guys remember that? And they said, oh, give us quail, give us quail. And the Lord gave them quail. And what happened to the people that put the quail in their mouth? They died. And they were lusting or craving quail. So it's interesting that it happened in the place of lust or longing. And the, the word also means graves of craving. And so they cried out for quail and they died and they were buried here in graves of craving. That's the name of the place. I wouldn't want to live in Graves of Craving, California. I'm thinking that's not a good place. I wouldn't want to live there, right? But that's the name of this place. Good place to pass through, drive through quickly, right? You know there's a place called Hell, California? Why would anybody live in Hell? Would you want to live in Hell? Right next to it is Paradise. I'm thinking, I'm moving right down the street. Random thought, but let's name our town Hell. That will draw people like crazy. Unbelievable. All right, verse 17. They departed... From Kirbath Hatava and encamped at Hazaroth. Hazaroth means villages or yards. It was eight miles away, so again, they're still doing that eight miles at a crack. Now, something did happen in Hazaroth. That's the place where Miriam was struck with leprosy. Remember that? Moses' sister tried to overthrow her own brother. She was struck with leprosy. Do we see it mentioned in the text here? It's not here. Amazes me yet again. Verse 18. They departed from Hazaroth and went to Ritmah, which means juniper trees, probably a beautiful place. Verse 19. And went from Ritmah and went to Rimon Perez, which means pomegranates. Now, this is the place where Korah came against Moses and Aaron. Remember Korah, Dathan, and Abiram? What happened to them? Ground opened up and swallowed them. Significant, right? Not in the text. And again, I find it interesting, again, as the Lord is just moving through what has happened, and He's focusing more on their obedience to move under the cloud than He is, the disobedient things that they have done, that again, for you and I, if we ask God to forgive us, He's faithful and just 
to forgive us. Verse 20. They departed from Rimon Perez and camped at Libna. Libna means whiteness or transparent. And it was known for a place of beautiful white flowers. They moved from Libna to Rissa, which means heap of ruins. Now I think that's interesting. Again, why are we talking about this? But They go from places that are beautiful to places that are difficult. And isn't that just like our walk sometimes? We go through, through times that everything is just wonderful and great. And then we go through times that are really difficult. But God wants you to know that it's all part of His plan. Amen? Is the Lord leading them through each of these places? Yes. He leads them through the place full of white poplars. He leads them through the place that's an oasis. And He leads them through the wilderness of sin. And He leads them through places that are heaps of ruins. Why? Because He wants us to trust Him not based on our circumstances. If you're waiting for your circumstances to be perfect, to be happy, you're not going to be happy very often. Amen? But when you're walking with the Lord, you can have joy in spite of your circumstances. You can have that peace that surpasses all understanding. It doesn't just come from understanding. Verse 22. They journeyed from Rissa and encamped at Ketala. And that means gathering. They moved from Ketala to Shepher, which means brightness. They moved from that place to Hadarah, which means fright or fear. They moved from there to Makaloth, which means assemblies. They moved from there to Tehoth, which means fear. Terah, in verse 27, means banished. Mitka means sweetness or pleasantness. Hashmana means fatness. Remember that? Feeling a little hashmana right about now. But no, this is a good thing. This is a good thing because it speaks of the fatness of the land, right? When we're talking about the fatness of, again, now do you see the total disparaging things between good and, and, and difficult times? Because in a believer, it's not the cruise ship to heaven. It's not always going to be, you know, you don't, oh, come to Jesus and your life will be perfect. Well, the reality is that your eternity will be perfect and you will have, and you can have joy in the midst of the most difficult time, but your circumstances can still be difficult because through them, God can be glorified. Amen. And the Lord desires that we go through difficulty, that we might glorify Him. Verse 30. Moseroth means bonds or chains. Uh, verse 31. Bene Jakan means sons of sorrow. Again, going through times of both blessing and difficulty. Verse 32. Maybe some of you feel like you're here tonight. Horharagard means, it means, in verse 32, that means pit or hole in the pit feel like my life's the pits right now. Here's the good news. Our God can deliver you out of that. Verse 33, Jotbata means brooks of water. Verse 34, Abranai means pass, passage over. Verse 35, Ezion means giant's backbone. And I find that interesting because guess where they're encamped at Ezion Geber? What, guess what they're right next to? The land of Canaan. What made them afraid in Canaan? There were giants in the land. And the name of this place where they encamped was called the Giant's Backbone. I wonder who named that place. Verse 36, They moved from Ezion Geber and encamped at the wilderness of Zin, which is at Kadesh. Now, this is interesting to me because this is where everything happens and nothing's mentioned. Because this is the very spot between verses 36 and 37 where they're finally at Canaan and what are they supposed to do? Go into the land and conquer it. Because the Lord told them, that land's yours. It already belongs to you. I've paid for it. Just go get it. And they get there, and they're standing outside of Canaan. What do they decide to do? Send spies in. And the spies come back and say, oh, there's giants in the land. We can't go in there. And what do they do? They listen to the words of men over the words of God, and they run away. And they refuse to enter in, and they don't trust what God has told them. 
Fear of man, giants in the land. They turn away from Canaan. They missed out on God's highest. Fear, doubt, unbelief, and faithlessness cause an entire generation to die in the wilderness. Why did they not, you know that generation that turned away? None of them, outside of two people, Joshua and Caleb, who were the two that came back with a good report, remember? They came back and said, hey, there's grapes the size of bowling balls in there. Let's go, right? I mean, it's a land flowing milk and honey. It's all that God said. Let's go get it. And they're like, oh, we're not going. Ten guys said no. You know what? And the people that will clamor and doubt God will always outnumber those who will promote Him. Amen? Always outnumber those who speak His truth. You know what? Praise God we don't live in a democratic eternity. Amen? Praise God we're not voting on how we get to heaven. Praise God that God said it. That settles it. Amen. Right? Amen. So praise the Lord. Interestingly enough, between verses 36 and 37... 38 years of wandering, not mentioned in the text. Amazing. Why? Because God again sees forgiven. They moved from Kadesh and camped at Mount Or on the boundary of the land of Edom. Who were the Edomites? They were descendants of Esau. And Mount Or is where Aaron died. So we're catching up now. We're almost right up to chapter 32. Aaron dies. Aaron dies. Why? Because Aaron doubted. Because Aaron disobeyed, Aaron was not going to get to enter in to the land of promise. Verse 38 and 39. Then Aaron the priest went up to Mount Orm at the command of the Lord and died there in the 40th year after the children of Israel come out of the land of Egypt on the first day of the fifth month. So notice, between verses 36 and 38, we've gone 40 years, we've gone, that entire wandering in the wilderness has happened. Verse 39. Aaron was 123 years old when he died at Mount Or. So Aaron went, was gathered to the Lord, and he died there. Verse 40. Now the king of Arad, the Canaanite, who dwelt in the south of the land of Canaan, heard of the coming of the children of Israel. Now when you go to Numbers 21, we're not going to do that. The Canaanites went out and fought against Israel and took some captives. And the next generation made up for the mistake of their parents. Because their parents fled from the Canaanites, and the younger generation, even though they've been captured, they went to the Lord and said, Lord, if you will give us this city, we will go in and we will defeat them and we'll wipe them all out if you tell us to. And the Lord said, go get them. And this time, they went. They were not afraid of the giants and they wiped them out. Why? Because they obeyed God. We can trust God. When God tells us to do something, we can trust Him. Amen? And they were overcome by the giants in the land. And praise the Lord that they actually learned from the mistakes of their parents. Israel made a vow with God, and he delivered the Canaanites into their hand. Notice again, it's nowhere in this text. Because again, he's just noting the simplicity of this is how I led them, and they followed me. May that be said of us, that we follow the Lord. So they departed from Mount Or and capped at Zolmana. Zolmana means shady. On their way up from Mount Or, they murmured against God and Moses for the lack of water, and they were sick of manna. And you know what happened here at Zolmana? Remember the bronze serpent? Bronze serpent was thrown in amongst them, and whoever the serpent bit, they were going to die. And then God told them to take a serpent, a bronze serpent, and put it on a bronze pole. And as long as they held, they held up the pole, and anybody even bit had to look up at the serpent. And if they looked up at the serpent on the pole, they were healed. And you might think of that, man, what is that, idol worship? No. What's it a picture of? Jesus. Because the serpent is a picture of sin, and the Bible says, He that knew no sin became sin for us. And so that bronze, bronze in the Bible is a picture of judgment always, right? Gold is deity, and bronze is judgment. And you looked up at that bronze pole, the picture of Christ hanging on the cross, and what bit us now saved us. And Jesus took all of our sin upon himself, took our sin away from us, and paid the price. Again, 
not noted here in the text. Verse 42, they departed from Zalmana and went to Punan, which means precious stone. From there they went to Oboth. Oboth means dragons. Verse 44, Irje Abiram, the border of Moab. Now, Irja Abiram means heap of Hebrews. And it's possible that it's there that there were small hills right near Jordan because they're about to go into Jordan. But it's in Moab's name, interestingly enough, means of his father. And he was an incestuous son of Lot. Now, guess what happened here? This is the place where the Moabite women were sent in by Balaam and Balak. And the guys all fell into sin and started worshiping idols and started chasing the women. Because they knew they couldn't defeat him militarily, so they sent the women in to draw him away into idol worship. And the guys went for it. And we know 24,000 people were killed by a plague. It happened right here on this spot. It's not mentioned here. They, they were in disobedience to the Lord. And again, he's just pointing out his direction and leading and guiding them. Numbers 21.4 tells us they murmured because the way was difficult as they went in this very same spot. But yet again, no mention of their rebellion. Verse 45. They departed from Ijim and and camped at Dibon Gad. Now, why is it called Dibon Gad? Verse chapter 32. Gad did not want to go into the land of promise. Why? Because he looked out and said, this land's pretty sweet right here. Don't make us cross over the Jordan. We want to be happy in the world. We don't have to, we don't have to be sold out for God. I don't want to be one of them Jesus freaks or anything. You know, I can just, you know, God, I'm, I'm, I've been delivered out of bondage. I got the get out of hell free card. I'm good. I just want to stay here where it's comfortable. And the land had been paid for. God had wiped out the enemy. Let us just stay right here. That was Debon Gad. And it's right here in those places where they had camped. Verse 46, we're almost done. They moved from Dibon Gad to Almond Dibliathim, which means hidden in a cluster of fig trees, a city that later belonged to the Moabites. They moved from there to Nebo. Nebo means prophet. And guess who died on Nebo? Moses. Nebo means prophet, and it was on Nebo where Moses would die. Verse 48, They departed from the mountains of Abiram and camped in the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from Jericho. So the plains of Moab, again, where the people had sinned with the harlots, now they're encamped there. And it says, By the Jordan across from Jericho. And Jordan, or Jordan, means descended. A descender. And Jericho means sweet aroma. And I find it interesting that God's Son descended from heaven, came to earth, and where was He baptized? In the Jordan Descender River. Amen? Nothing happens by chance in the Bible. It all fits together perfectly. Verse 49. They camped by the Jordan from Beth Jeshemoth as far as Abel Acacia Grove in the plains of Moab. Now, the, this name here means meadows of acacias, and they were known for their wood. And matter of fact, the Lord tells them later to get acacia wood. And they're to use, they use that in the building of the ark. Remember that? God told them to get acacia wood. It came from this region. So they're camping. In each place they camp, the Lord is writing down where they were. And they're both located east of Jordan in the desert of Moab, just outside the land of promise. Now, next week... We're going to see God not only looking back, now that they've, He's told them what's behind them, He tells them what's before them. And we're going to tie in the last six verses of this chapter with the next chapter because it all speaks about their conquest of Canaan. Finally, the Lord says, all right, I want you to go in and here's what I want you to do now that you're going into the land of promise. But I want to close with a couple of things that I find significant about this text. Because 
I believe it's a picture of God's grace. He records every spot of obedience as they followed and were led by the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire, but he didn't remember even one of their sins along the way. Do you know that God does the same thing with you? It says in Psalm 103, He forgives all our iniquities. He redeems us from destruction. As far as the east is from the west, so far He has removed our sins from us. So amazingly, He forgets our every sin and iniquity as soon as we come with a heart of repentance. Forgotten. He chooses not to remember. He's Almighty God. He chooses not to remember. You come to Him confessing that same sin, He's going to say, what sin are you talking about? Because He's forgiven you. Isn't that great? But you know what's interesting? But He will never forget even the smallest of the works that you do in His name. It says in Hebrews, God is not unrighteous to forget your work and your labor of love that you have done in His name. In Matthew 10, 42, it says, Whoever gives one of these little ones a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple or an apostle, surely I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. That means that everything you've done in your life to honor God, He remembers, and every sin you've ever committed, if you've asked God to forgive, and forgive you, He's forgotten. Is that awesome or what? What a great and awesome God we serve. Amen. You know, most people we know remember every bad thing we ever did to them and forgot the time we helped them. Amen? But our God is just the opposite. He's just the opposite. He remembers our sin no more. He separates it as far as the east from the west. And he remembers every time you came early to set up chairs at church. He remembers every time you worked in the nursery. He remembers every time you went down the street to minister to somebody who was sick and brought him a pie and told him that God loves him. He remembers every time you, you just saw somebody in need, you, you saw somebody who needed help, and you wrote a, a small check. Whatever you did, where you did it in his name for his glory, he remembers every single one of those. Wow. What a great and awesome God we serve. Everything that we do, God will never forget. My sin's forgiven and forgotten. And what's amazing to me, the only reason I do anything good is because He lives in me. So He dies for me, then He comes to live in me, and because He lives in me, the fruit of that is I do good things to minister to others, then He rewards me for doing the good things that He causes me to do because He lives in me. What an awesome God, amen? And people say, oh, God is so unfair. No, He's, we don't deserve what we get, amen? I don't want what I deserve. How about you? I want grace. I want mercy. Good works done empowered by the Holy Spirit reap an eternal reward. So in closing, while it's absolutely true that God is gracious and forgiving of all sin brought to the cross, as believers, our sin and rebellion, though forgiven in eternity, has consequences here and now and causes us to miss out on God's blessing. I want to close with this to give balance, okay? Because we do understand that God is forgiving God. I don't want that to be a license to sin, though. Amen? All right, God's a forgiving God, so now I'll just go live like the world. No, because while He forgives our sin, if we've truly repented, when we sin, it has consequences. What happened to the older generation? They did not enter into the land of promise. They missed out on God's highest. If we live lives of rebellion, we will miss out on God's highest for us. You can have a saved soul and a wasted life. You can be born again as by fire, right? saved and get into heaven but god wants to do great things with us you guys don't you want your life to count for eternity amen when this time has come and passed only what you've done for christ will last and nothing else is going to matter when we get to heaven and so it's so key that god's will will be done and understand that that we can either enjoy the blessings blessings of being an active part of his will or we can miss out on it due to our own sin and rebellion god richly blessed his children 
Nothing too great for him to overcome. You know, the examples were, he delivered them out of bondage through the plagues. He opened up the Red Sea for them. He caused it to destroy their enemies. When his people were in danger, he gave them victory. When they were thirsty, he gave them water. When they were hungry, he rained down bread from heaven. He blessed them, and most of them still rebelled. What happened? The older generation died off. The new generation took over. Miriam tried to overthrow her brother, and she got leprosy, and then later she died, and she was the, quote, worship leader. And what happened? Somebody else had to lead worship because she fell into sin and she missed out on God's highest. Aaron died in Mount Or and his son Eliezer took over. Moses smote the rock when the Lord told him to speak to the rock the second time. Remember that? And because of that, he didn't enter in and Joshua took his place. Here's the good news. God's will is going to be done with you or without you. Amen? God, God, you know, we, God doesn't need us. We need Him. Amen? And God's will will be done, and we can either be a part of it or we can miss out on it. And what will happen is if we fall, God will raise somebody up who will do it. But you know what? I want to be used by God, don't you? Chronicles, it says, The eyes of the Lord search to and fro among the holders, seeking one who can show himself strong on account of, one whose heart is loyal to him. I want to be that man. Say, Lord, use me. Here I am, Lord. Use me. We can rebel and focus on our own will and not use the gifts God's given us, and we can miss out on His blessing. We can miss out on the joy of being used for His glory. The sovereignty of God does not force us to walk in obedience. He desires that we do it, but He will never force us to do it. The fact that God knows everything doesn't mean He makes you respond in obedience. He desires that you would do it out of love for Him. You know what? I don't want my kids to love me because I make them love me. I want them to love me because they know me, and, they, and as they get to know me, they want to be with me. Isn't that the way we should be with our Lord? Get to know Him better, and you're going to love Him so much that you can't do anything but spend time in His presence. God knows everything. He knows all you've ever done. He knows all you're going to do, and He loves you anyway. He that knows you best loves you most. Isn't that good? And may we, by our own free will, empowered by the Holy Spirit, live lives that count in eternity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word, and we thank You, Lord, that as You look back on our past, Lord, if we've given our lives to You, You see us through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, and You see us forgiven. But Lord, I pray that because we're forgiven, that that would not cause us to live lives of cheap grace, not cause us to, to go out and live like the world because we've been forgiven. But Lord, may Your forgiveness provoke us to a deeper love for You. As we look to the cross, we realize, Lord, what You did for us. May we be desperate for You. Lord, may you pour out your Spirit upon us in a mighty and a powerful way. Lord, we know your will will be done, but Lord, we want to be a part of that. Lord, we want to be uh, obedient to your calling upon our lives. We want you to use our lives for your glory. Lord, may our lives count in eternity. May it impact those around us who don't know you. Lord, the only thing we're taking to heaven with us is people. Lord, may that be the focus and the passion of our life to worship you, to know you and make you known to a lost and dying world. Lord, we love you so much. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that even a, a road trip map in the Old Testament has application for our lives today. We ask you blessings upon each person who's here. May you be glorified through our lives. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.